I want to uh, ask you a, a question. Have you ever experienced uh, unbelievable uh, hospitality or love or a kindness uh, that you weren't expecting? Uh, you were just like really surprised. Somebody just did something to you or for you that just really like blew you away. You, you were just like, wow, why, why would somebody be so nice, so kind uh, to me? You know, it's like, I don't know if like you have a whole bunch of memories that come up uh, on that, but, but you know, uh, I do. I, I just, uh, I can think of many times in my life where we've just been like totally surprised and been totally on the receiving end of uh, incredible love. And normally it's because somebody is motivated by Christ uh, and is extending that love and we've been the on the receiving end. Uh, most significantly for me in my memories uh, would be my wife and I, Liz, we, we were very fortunate uh, in our younger years uh, to have traveled around the world. Uh, we got this like steal of a deal uh, to get a round the world air ticket for $1,800. Uh, we could fly anywhere. Uh, this American airline, Northwest Orient, flew for a whole year and it only cost us $1,800. Now, You'll notice that Northwest Orient is no longer in business. <laughs> I think because, you know, I don't know how many other people took him up on that great deal, but we did. Uh, well, you know, once we had the airfare paid for, we could go anywhere that Northwest could fly. Now we just had to figure out how we were going to live. So, uh, you know, we said, okay, we can live. Mate. Could we live on 20 bucks a day? And so we headed out, and 20 bucks a day, we went into the big wide world and, and off we went in the backpack and, and we didn't know where we were going to go. And, uh, you know, we traveled for a whole year like that. Uh, you know, there's accommodation under 20 bucks, your food, your transportation, your rental cars. I mean, all of that, just 20 bucks a day. It was, was tremendous adventure. But in that, uh, people were unbelievable, uh, unbelievably hospitable to us. I mean, I just have a whole bunch of thoughts and memories of this. Uh, we were flying to uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. Now, you know, we didn't really know a whole lot about America. I, I didn't really know where Knoxville was. No, I didn't actually know where Tennessee was. Let me just be honest with you. Uh, so, uh, you know, flying down there after just having like a really awesome time in New York, uh, you, you know, I didn't have a, like a whole lot of planning, like what I was going to do in Knoxville. It was like we were just planning New York. And, you know, we got on the plane, flew from New York to Knoxville, um, and we're in the in the plane, and, and I'm reading through this like book that we've got in Let's Go USA, how to get, you know, be a camper around USA, live on the cheap, and Knoxville, Tennessee. What's it to do in Knoxville, Tennessee? I don't even know if Knoxville was listed in the book. So uh, Liz and I are discussing that, and, and I asked the stewardess, a steward, I said, look, can you ask the pilot, like, where is the airport in relationship to the city? I mean, is it like in the city, outside the city? And... Like, is there anything to see around here? Is there anything we could actually do here? Uh, maybe give us some tips. And so she went off, and she came back, and she said, well, you know, the airport's like three miles away. I said, do they rent cars at this airport? She said, oh, I don't know. So anyway, we said, well, okay, well, we'll figure it out when we get there. Well, lo and behold, the, the, the people sitting right in front of us, a lady, she overhears us, and she said, well, where do you want to go? I said, I've got no clue. Where should we go? She said, well, what about Gatlingburg, Smoky Mountains? That's like where everybody goes. It's like American like vacation paradise. I said, really, Gatlingburg? Never heard of it. 
She said, no, it's an awesome place. It's in the Smoky Mountains. There's hiking trails. I said, I'm on. That's great. That sounds terrific. How far is it from the airport? Can we walk there? She said, no, it's about an hour and a half car ride. I said, well, it's nice. Uh, I'll figure out. Don't worry. We'll take you. We'll take you down there. I'm like, you don't even know us. So we got off the plane. She took us all the way down there in the car ride down there. She says, like, where are you guys going to stay? I said, well, we've got a tent, uh, you know, anywhere to camp. She said, well, how much do you want to spend? You've got, like, RV campsites. I said, no, 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 just a little tent. And then more discussion. You just want to stay illegally in the woods somewhere, don't you? I'm like, yeah, that would be great. Just like, <laughs> she said, I've got a spot for you. I'll run the river down here. Nobody will find you. It's just right next to town. You'll go hike up there. And she drove us through the town and showed us exactly where to set up tent and where all the little connections were and the stores and so we were there for like a week. We were just having a, a blast, you know, a great time. End of the week, we're like, okay, we've got to get out of here. Uh, we go up to her little store. We say, hey, like, we're heading out to say goodbye. Oh, you're leaving already? It's only been a week. How about you come stay over at my place? We'll do like a big barbecue cookout, and I'll take you to the airport tomorrow morning. I'm like, deal. That's like great. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just incredible hospitality. I mean, we we're like in Hawaii, you know, and... Hawaii is expensive, let me tell you. But oh no, we met some guy and he said, oh yeah, I've got a room, uh, you can stay in the room. I don't even remember how we met this guy. But I mean, like he had a, like a real house, like on a cliff overlooking like the ocean. It was awesome. And he had a whole separate room up there. Just, oh, just, you can just go camp up there. But the best part of this deal was, he said, breakfast is 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock, we get down for breakfast, full on Bible study. I'm like, wow, we've hit it. This is gold. I'm like, this is great. And we're just talking about Jesus and I'm, you know, it was just incredible. Uh, and when we ended up coming back to the States, at this point, Liz got a job, a real job. And, uh, you know, we got uh, visas, come back. Uh, we show up at the Vineyard Church. Never been to the Vineyard Church. Never heard of the Vineyard Church. Uh, you know, somebody directed us there. We show up at the Vineyard Church. And somebody who doesn't even know us ends up taking us in for two weeks. I mean, we stayed at their house in Natick for two weeks while Liz was getting sorted out with a job and while we were trying to look for a place to stay. and Just incredible hospitality. I mean, you know, there are people that rarely uh, go out of their way to be loving and to be caring. And the motive is because God has been loving and caring to them. And they feel like an imperative, like it's a privilege to, to, to pass it on. Uh, so, you know, all that to say that when we look at uh, Palm Sunday and uh, this scripture, John, I'm going to be preaching out of John chapter 12. Uh, this is just one of the most incredible uh, sections of scripture. Uh, it's just a, a, a really a wonderful uh, section of scripture. And yet it's really also confusing. I mean, it's like, why do people do the things they do? Uh, it's like, why do people respond the way they respond? And uh, one thing you're going to figure out pretty quickly uh, as a believer, if you're trying to help others and love others, you will be constantly misunderstood uh, and, you know, maybe even abused, used. Uh, and yet there's some part of us that we just need to get over that. It, that doesn't stop us from loving others. And when we look at Christ and we look at uh, Palm Sunday, Christ was so misunderstood. His whole mission was misunderstood. And yet Christ just continued on. 
Uh, I, uh, if you've got your Bible, open up to John uh, chapter 12, or if you're following along on your phone, you can click away. Uh, John chapter 12, uh, in this whole chapter, is, is really a number of different things going on here. But uh, the point that I want to make is God has made a way for us to know him. And this plan that Jesus has of coming to the uh, as a human, but being fully God, knowing that, okay, it's Palm Sunday. This is the beginning of Holy Week. Uh, he has done all his ministry. He's done miracles. He's preached to thousands, or, and he's got his disciples. And yet he's still very much misunderstood. I mean, he's explained to his disciples what's going to happen, and they just don't get it. And here you've got Palm Sunday, and he says, mixed motives. Uh, Christ has got this big plan of God's love and how that's going to impact each one of us, you and me, and the people of his day. And yet everybody in his day have got their own agenda. And they're totally misunderstanding what God's love is all about. The first person to misunderstand him is Judas. And Judas is in it for the money. He is in it for what's in it for him. It's all about, okay, I'll hang out with Jesus, and uh, how much money can I get? Uh, what's in it for me? And it's like total misunderstanding of who Jesus is. Uh, let's just read uh, this, this text. It says, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, Six days before Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made of essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared about the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some of it for himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Judas's motive was totally self-serving. I mean, he's stealing from, of all people, Jesus. And uh, he's just like, what's in it for me? How do I get something out of this? Uh, it's really disturbing, actually, how self-centered uh, we can be even, you know, for like holy purposes. But you know, the hero of this little story is Mary just saying, okay, I'm going to give Jesus everything. I mean, it's just going to be ridiculously lavish. And she just pours out uh, her you know, finances, her perfume uh, on Jesus. You know, I don't think you can ever waste your money on Jesus. I don't think you can ever, like, give too much or express your love in, in like a, you, you can't like overdo it. You can't be overly appreciative of what God has done in your life. 
I mean, she's wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. You know, I mean, it's like repulsive from most people's standpoint. But from Jesus' standpoint, the money wasn't wasted. Her gesture of wiping Jesus' feet with her hair was not misunderstood by Jesus. He said, essentially, this is the right thing to do. And, you know, it's really a, a challenge uh, being on this side uh, of uh, church finances and wondering, you know, are we wasting money? And one of the, um, the difficulties I have in my position is I know many of you are really, really generous. And many of you are just scraping by. I mean, you're like hardly make ends meet. And yet you generously uh, contribute uh, to the church. And, you, and it's a, just a wonderful offering uh, that you give to the Lord. Uh, and, you know, from my standpoint, you know, trying to be a good steward of the resources, it's something I just like have to take very seriously. And one of the dilemmas I have is every time we have missions trips, I, I, I always kind of like scratch my head and I think, you know, going to the Dominican Republic, or going to Spain, where we do most of our missions work, it's expensive. And, you know, we're thinking, okay, so if we go to the Dominican Republic, besides like serving, you know, poor people food, is there, is there any sense that we're bringing hope of Jesus? Is there any sense that people are coming to know him? Is there any sense that we're building up the church? Uh, and let me just flip over to, to Spain. I mean, Spain is really not a country that's welcoming of me coming across and trying to preach the gospel message. And, you know, we'll go out there and we'll spend thousands of dollars on a trip. Many of you have come with me. And, uh, you, you know, we try our best when we're there. We, we're trying to share the gospel. And, and you come back home and you say, wow, you know, was it worth it financially? You know, like we didn't like lead hundreds of people to the Lord. In fact, we'd be like ecstatic if one person accepted Jesus. It would have been like a victory. Uh, or, you know, can we go help a church? And, and it's like, do we actually add value to that church? Uh, you know, we go and we, we just serve and we try. And, and then, of course, we often like totally surprised, like things will happen. And, and it's like, wow, praise God. It's really exciting. But when I come back, you know, I think, okay, financially. Was that worth it? And it's like a head scratcher. You think, okay, God, I'm just doing what you're asking us to do. You say we need to go uh, into all the world. It's part of our call. It's part of every church's call. Spread the good news. Tell everybody about Jesus. But it costs money. And we're a small church. And I think, is it worth it? But honestly, at the end of the day, I've I, I got to say after every trip, yeah, it was worth it. Because the alternative is just, like horrific you do nothing you know it's all about just us and we'll just spend all our money on just us it's like oh that just feels so wrong so there's a sense of you know we just give our lives we give our time we we, we give our money uh, we just do it lavishly for the lord and and we try and do it with the right motives and we try to try and do it with the right uh, intentions and with the right you know, style and, and be sensitive to, to cultures. And, we, and then we just sort of step back and say, okay, God, just use our efforts. And, uh, you know, often we're surprised how God uses our, our puny efforts. And sometimes it's only years later that we 
see the benefit of of a trip uh, you know where we've done an evaluation as soon as we get back and sometimes it's years later that we we see that evaluation of of what god is is doing but we've also been doing a series uh, through the book of james and in james chapter 5 uh, god uh, through the, the author james the brother of jesus he's just got like this stern warning for rich business people that are getting rich on the backs of others. And uh, let me just uh, read this to you from the book of James, chapter 5. James is Mr. Practical. So he says, look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead for you. Now, that's sort of a brain scratcher right there. Like rich people, terrible troubles. I mean, rich people have it easy. Uh, James, not saying, are you poor people? You know how terrible it is for you for your suffering. James is like forward thinking. He's like, rich people, uh, you should be in anguish because of the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away. Your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver have become worthless. The very wealth you are counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This treasure you have accumulated will stand as evidence against you on the day of judgment. For listen. Hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The wages you have held back cry out against you. The cries of those who harvest your field have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your very every desire. Now, how do you like this analogy? You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. Ooh. You have consumed and killed innocent people who do not resist you. You know, it's just like James is just saying, listen, if you're rich and you have power, don't abuse people. Uh, don't like just because you can, you know, pay them the, the least amount or not at all. Uh, he's saying if you've got power and, and influence and you're wealthy, use it generously, like help people and build up families. Don't abuse it. I mean, James is just like really pa practical. Uh, James is telling us, look, if you understand the love of the Father, if you've received the love of the Father, and if you're in a position of influence, leverage it for good. Help people, love people, uh, and don't do the opposite. Otherwise, you're in, you're in big trouble. The second uh, group of people that we see in Palm Sunday is the religious leaders. Uh, Jesus' love is misunderstood. Jesus' mission uh, is misunderstood by the religious leaders. And again, I mean, I'm a religious leader. You know, this applies to me a whole lot more than it applies to you. Uh, but the problem with religious leaders is often uh, they just want a large following, a big church, for the sake of being big, so that they can be powerful, so that they can have notoriety, so that they, when they hang out with their friends, can say, well, you know, I'm significant, I have a big church, or I have a big following. Uh, but back in, in John, carrying on in chapter 12, it says this. This is right after Jesus has just confronted Judas. He says, when all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him, and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priests decided to kill Lazarus too. I mean, poor Lazarus. I mean, he's like died and Jesus had to raise him from the dead and now they want to kill him again. It's like, okay, I, 
you know, Lazarus, like we, I don't know, you know, really awkward predicament. For it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them, the religious leaders, and now they're following Jesus, and they believe in Jesus. And now the religious leaders are like, you know, instead of seeing who Jesus is and saying, wow, that's pretty awesome, maybe we should follow him, uh, they like ticked off. It's like, hey, all my people are going, you know, to Jesus. And we pick it up here again in verse 17. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. No kidding. They, that was the reason so many of them wanted to go and meet Jesus because they had heard about the miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees, that's the religious rulers, said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after Jesus. Everybody's following him. Uh, again, I, I realize this is speaking much more to me than what it's speaking to you. Uh, and uh, we do have to ask ourselves, uh, you know, as I have, can we... Uh, you know, get a better facility? Could we uh, think about people that aren't yet here in this church? And, and I've asked you for, for finances, and you guys have been uh, very generous and, and have given for that, and we, we're actively looking for an upgrade in, in, in our facility. Uh, but many of you, uh, you know, and I can sort of understand this from a, in one way, are like uncomfortable with that. You're saying, you know what, I, I like it just the way it is. My kids are happy, I'm happy, and I don't think we need another place. It's like, I'm just okay. But let me ask you a question. Did you pay for this place? You know, I mean, a few of you did. But most of you that are sitting here today, you didn't have to pay for this place. Uh, what happened was, way back in the day, there were a whole bunch of people that said, I've experienced Jesus' love. I've experienced the love of the Father. I want to see other people experience the love of the Father, and they contributed for this building. And while they didn't know you personally, the motive was for you. Uh, you sitting here, and it's them, their investment is now paying off. And so again, I'm asking you to pay it forward. I'm saying, okay, you sitting here, you're having, a, you know, enjoying service. Would you be interested in those that you don't yet see? Your friends, your family, your friends' friends, or somebody you don't even know, uh, would you be willing to, like, invest in those? And, you know, some people say, yeah, I get it. For others, I hate to say it crassly, but it's like, they can go to hell. I'm okay, Jack. You know, I'm doing okay. I don't care about the others. I don't care about their faith. I don't, I, I'm just okay. And God, you know, when we receive the love of Christ, it, it's constant. Life is, God is going to put demands on us all the time, but it, these are like demands which are just delightful. It's like, God, I just love receiving your love. I love in passing your love on. I love to see other people experience your love, not just hear about your love, but experience your love. You know, just be on the receiving end of incredible acts of kindness. And i got to tell you, as a pastor, I'm like really proud of you people. I get to hear a lot of the inside stories, you know, where people don't want their names mentioned where people have said, you know, I'm going to buy a car for so-and-so and help them out because they needed a car. Or somebody, when we first just started out, and we were a smaller church, and said, you know, we didn't have a formal wedding, but I want to take all the money that I would have spent on a fancy wedding 
and I want to throw a big banquet. And we had like this big banquet celebration down in, in Holliston at the golf course. We just, you know, rented the whole place out. We had a full-on dinner and, and, you know, we're just celebrating what Christ had done in the church. And somebody paid for all of that. Just totally motivated by, you know, I've received so much from Christ and I just want to pass it on. There was no obligation to do that. You know, for many, that would just been so wasteful and so extravagant and like you could have done this or the money or that or whatever. It, but absolute delight uh, if you're the receiving end of that as we were when we just enjoyed that. It was just a delight. The third uh, group of people that have totally misunderstood uh, Palm Sunday and what Jesus' love is all about and what his love demands of us would be the crowds. Uh, the crowds around Jesus were basically saying, look, we want a king and we want a king now. You know, we're being oppressed by these despicable Romans and uh, you know, they take our taxes. We've lost our freedom. Uh, we don't have the good life anymore. And uh, if we can just get these bums out of here and if we can just elect our own president, our own king, everything will be great. You know, we know that as Americans. We just like, if we elect a perfect president, everything's just perfect. I mean, right? I mean, every president we've had has been really perfect, and things have just gone perfect for us. Oh, okay, one guy got That was a joke. Okay. <laughs> Let me just say, if you elect the perfect president, it won't be perfect. But I will say, let's rather elect a good president than a bad one. Yeah, absolutely. But you don't solve the world's problems or the country's problems simply by electing, you know, a good president. It's helpful. And Jesus saw right through that. He said, like, okay, if I become the king, uh, it'll be for a short time period. Yeah, I can sort things out in the short term, but that's not the big picture. The big picture of God's love is much more than short term. It's certainly short term. Uh, God, uh, Jesus is promising a, a really awesome life now, but he's also promising an eternal life. He's, also, he's promising us peace now, no matter what our circumstances and eternal peace. I mean, it's both. It's just a big picture. And the people in the crowds were narrow-minded, small picture. And so, you know, let's just read about this. Uh, verse 12 of chapter 12. The next day, the news that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, or praise God, or God, save us now. I mean, that's what Hosanna means. Save us now. God, just save us. you the God. Jesus, you're it. Save us. They were so excited. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And then, yeah, you see their heart. Hail to the king of Israel. And they certainly meant king right now of Israel. Uh, Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it. Fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. The disciples didn't understand at the time that this was fulfilling a prophecy. I mean, the disciples missed it. The crowds missed it. Uh, Jesus didn't miss it. What people expected of Jesus was obvious. Get on the biggest horse that you can find. Jump on that thing. Uh, tower above everybody else, get all your followers and disciples and like, let's just go down to Jerusalem and like overthrow the place and let's just celebrate. You're it. You're the announcement. 
And here comes Jesus on like a, a donkey. I mean, he almost stole the thing. He's like, hey, just go up there and get that guy's donkey. I mean, he didn't steal it because the guy said, okay. But I mean, it's like, you know, he didn't even know whose donkey it was. Like, get it. And Jesus coming, oh, donkey. Oh, da, da, da. I mean, it's just like not the way a king would come into town. Uh, he, but Jesus was communicating a whole different message. He was saying, you know what a leader looks like? A leader looks like a servant. A leader isn't somebody that lives like large and in charge. Uh, that's God's job. He's large and in charge. And as followers and as leaders, we've got to live like Jesus, like in humility. You know, one of the reasons the current Pope, Pope Francis, is so popular is because he isn't living like all the predecessors. He's not living large and in charge. He's like scaling down. Uh, how many know that the Pope rides a Ford Focus? A Ford Focus. Now, this is the upscale car, mind you. Uh, the car that he uses to go like, downtown Rome is a Renault 4. Does anybody know what a Renault 4 looks like? We don't allow them in America. I mean, the wheels come off, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, the little square jobby. It's like a naughty car, yeah, a Mickey Mouse car, you know, naughty. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but listen, I, I figured if, if the Ford Focus is good enough for the Pope, uh, it's good enough for my wife. Uh, next slide there, see So like, okay, Ford Focus, that's it, man. That's like, that's the car. All right, all right, take a Ford Focus down. All right, next picture. The next group of people that uh, misunderstood uh, Jesus' Palm Sunday were the Greeks. Uh, the Greeks basically wanted to meet Jesus. They wanted to like hang out with somebody famous. Uh, they were basically like, okay, we've heard a lot about this Jesus guy. He's real cool. You know, it's like meeting one of the Patriots players. Hey, uh, you know, I heard like Tom Brady's around. And, you know, somebody ponies up to a friend of Tom's and says, hey, you know Tom Brady. Hey, can I like, kind of meet him? Can I, can I hang out and shake his hand and hang out? Well, that's what the Greeks are doing. So we pick up that story and uh, we see that some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said, sir, we want to meet Jesus. Well, Philip went and told Andrew about, uh, about that. And basically, Jesus like, nope, uh, this is what you can tell him. And he gives him a whole message to go and tell the Greek guys. But Jesus is not getting sidetracked. He knows what his mission is. He knows what he's about to do. He knows the significance of the time. He knows the significance of the season. And he's not going to let anybody distract him. And just stays on cue. Uh, let me just, all this to say uh, this. Uh, Palm Sunday, it's misunderstood by Judas because he's interested in money and materialism. It's misunderstood by the religious leaders because they're interested in power and prestige. It's misunderstood by the crowds because they want a king and they want comfort. And it's misunderstood by the Greeks because they want to hang out with somebody famous. I mean, Jesus was constantly misunderstood. Uh, all that to say, you will be misunderstood if you love Jesus. Uh, you invite your friend to service next week. I, I mean, there's like, even that gesture is misunderstood. And uh, you try and do good to somebody. You try and help them out. Uh, you can be misunderstood. Uh, it's not unusual when you're trying to serve and help and be kind to people that you'll get misunderstood. And, you know, if you look at church history, church history is an interesting sort of development. Talk about being misunderstood and missing the point. Uh, 
it starts off uh, where people are trying to figure out who is Jesus. That was like really important. And a lot of thought and study and discussion and uh, council meetings went into figuring this out. And they kind of hammered it out and they developed these things called creeds. And these creeds are like really awesome documents. I mean, like who is the Father? Who is Jesus? And who is the Holy Spirit? And they spent hours like debating, what does the word begotten mean? And like, no, you didn't get it right. Begotten, you know, finally they get all hammered out. And today, uh, you join many churches. They'll say, do you agree with the Apostles' Creed? Or do you subscribe to that? And you say, yes, I read that. Good, you're in. You don't agree with the Creed, you're out. But if you agreed with, agree with the Creed, you're in. There's one huge problem. The Creed doesn't mention anything about love. It doesn't have anything about our behavior. It's all about our belief. And it's just like, do you get the belief right? Do you get the belief right? Do you get the belief right? It's like, okay, we get the belief right. I believe in Jesus. All done. No, not all done. Not all done. You've got to believe in Jesus, and then you've got to behave in a way that's according to your belief in Jesus. And, and I'm not talking about behave like wear the right clothes and don't smoke and don't drink and don't. And don't. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about love people. Love people. You know, Jesus put it this way. He said, look, I know there's the Ten Commandments. Forget about them. No, don't forget about them. Just like put them aside for a moment. They're important. He said, I know you're not going to remember Ten Commandments. I'm going to give you like a simplified version. Uh, there's like 650-something laws in the Old Testament that every Jewish person would have tried to have learned and studied. Jesus saying, don't worry about all 650. Don't even worry about the Ten Commandments. I'm giving you two. Make it real simple. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Just love him. And don't stop there. Love your neighbor as yourself. But you know, Mr. Practical James, as we've just seen in the book of James, and as I said so many times, he wasn't worried that we wouldn't get the loving God part. He was a pastor. He was pastoring the Jewish church in Jerusalem. He knew that they'd get that part right. But he was very worried that we wouldn't get the love your neighbor part. So he did the royal law. Remember the royal law? And the royal law is love your neighbor as yourself. You know, in church history, like Martin Luther in the 1500s, I mean, he hated this book of James. He's like, there's no use in this book of James. It's not theological. It doesn't tell us anything about God the Father. It doesn't tell us anything about Jesus. There's nothing about the Holy Spirit. Just like get rid of that book. And many of the people, when they're putting the Bible together in the initial stages, like, just leave that book of James out. It's just so useless. Ah, but not God. He knew. That little book we needed to put in. That little practical wisdom, we all needed it. We needed to be focused on loving our neighbor. And if it wasn't just James, it was Paul. You know, Paul also says he doesn't like worry about us loving God the Father. He knew we'd get that part right. Paul in Galatians 5.14 says, for the whole law, the whole law. I mean, he's like one-upping Jesus. Jesus, I'm going to give you two things to remember. Paul is like, okay, I know you guys are smart, but I'm going to make it easy. One law. Take the whole law, the whole Old Testament. Just remember this one thing. And what does Paul say? The whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, it's just really incredible. And then you look at Jesus, and he says this in Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and give his life as a ransom for many. That was the message. 
You know, I want to sum this up with one story. Uh, last week in our life group, we had one of those like bombs go off, like in a good way, like a God story. And like this person shared, and we're like, whoa, what did you just say? Say that again. Well, Janine Panicelli is a, a, a teacher in the Medway Public Schools, and she teaches uh, kids with special needs. And like 20 years ago, uh, she has a first grade kid, and she's just doing her teacher thing. And she doesn't think anything of it. Until like 20 years later, last week, she gets a letter in the mail by this kid saying, Mrs. Panicelli, would you please be my guest at my wedding? Because you were a special person in my life. 20 years later, you get a letter from somebody because Janine was just doing her job, but she was pouring out the love of God into her students, into the people that she came into contact with. She wasn't doing a religious job. She just knows what the love of God looks like. She takes extra special care for those that are in need, and she loves on them. Unbelievable. 20-some years later, Mrs. Panicelli, I'd be so honored if you could come to my wedding because you've been a special person in my life. Friends, is it that difficult for us to just love others? I want to just end there. We have the worship team come on up. Have Kevin does our prayer in the morning. Kevin, come on up. But, you know, I think God is saying to us, that it's important that we love him. It's important that we get our doctrine sorted out. It's important that we know the Bible. But, you know, it's so much simpler. It's so easy. You know, just do what Mr. Practical James says. Just love your neighbor. Just love your neighbor. Uh, we do take time in the morning to pray. And uh, I ask uh, Kevin, you know, we say, God, is there something prophetically that you're saying to us? Is there scripture which jumps out? Is there, is there something that you'd like to communicate to us? And uh, this might be pertinent for you. Uh, and if this is you, uh, I would encourage you, come forward and, and get some prayer. Kevin, come stand up on the platform so everybody can see you. Okay, um, so, so this morning there was a, a picture someone had of uh, there was someone kind of caught in brambles or, or thorns. And... Uh, in Matthew 13, there's the parable of the farmer scattering seed, and it describes um, uh, thorns as being uh, representing the cares of this world or excessive love for um, money. And so I feel like the uh, interpretation is uh, perhaps that um, Jesus wants to uh, clear away those brambles or... Um, anything that hinders us from coming to him and following him uh, and, and making us free to uh, love others. Uh, so if that applies to you, I, I just encourage you to come up for uh, prayer. If you'd like prayer for anything else, uh, we'll have a prayer team up front, and we'd be happy to pray with you. Lord Jesus, we just uh, want to leave here today with an endless sort of thank you on our heart. We want to worship you. We desire to just have that peace and joy that uh, you give us, uh, no matter what difficulties we're going through, there's a sense that you give us hope and you give us joy. And Lord, uh, I know that you desire us to 
spread that with others and to be kind to others and to be nice to others and to love on others and to just share your love with others. So, Lord, I just pray that uh, for those that are desiring this week uh, to be used by you in that way, to be loving towards others, that you would give them an opportunity. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, if you would like prayer, uh, come on up. And uh, if you'd like prayer specifically to be used by God uh, to love somebody else, you know, there's a sense of I'm connecting with God. Uh, there's a sense of I want to be used by God, and I want to see that happen. And if you're saying, God, I, use me this week, uh, I'd encourage you to come forward and let somebody just lay their hands on you and pray for you and, and ask God to give you uh, what we'd say is a divine encounter, a, a, an opportunity that you couldn't have orchestrated in your own. Uh, you'd recognize and say, this is God. This is my opportunity to love somebody and do something significant. Now, if that's you, uh, you know, come on up and uh, receive some prayer. And likewise, if you're responding to Kevin, you feel like there's something you caught in some bramble, there's something holding you, you back, you're ensnared, uh, come up and just let somebody pray for you and just pray freedom on, to on you and, and uh, ability to receive God's love. Bless you guys. Have a great week. Uh, go in the lobby and, and get somebody to drink.